0: assist if we can have the first slide up for our scripture text this morning. Coming from the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We have been, the last time that we spoke, we we dealt with the subject of why pray, and we're continuing that today with why pray part two. And the reason why we're still on the subject of prayer is because as our pastor has been preaching, as the word of God testifies, it's the times that we live in. This is a time that we need to pray. So we've covered other dimensions about prayer, but with this particular passage this morning, we're going to another reason why we are to pray. And so I invite you, as the scripture is up on the screen, I invite you to read along with me as we read through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. So we can all start together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Lord, bless the reading of his word. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. So we pray right now by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that you would open our understanding, that we might understand the scriptures, that you would impress upon us your will in this time, that you would give us light in the midst of darkness. We thank you for the victory in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Why pray? Why pray? As we look over this passage in Ephesians chapter six, we have a admonition by the Apostle Paul being used to write this passage. The book of Ephesians, was a book that was written to a group of people who were in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was given over to worship of the false goddess Diana. And they had a big temple that was in that city. And in that temple, they committed all sorts of abominations that we are not going to mention in this message. But they were ungodly, they were not supposed to be practiced. But Paul was led by the Spirit to go to Ephesus, and upon him preaching there, many people came to know the Lord. And in Acts chapter 20, you can go and read about that, and you can see that these people, after they came to know the Lord, they took up all of these books and occult things that they had, and they burned them in the fire. They did that because they understood and they knew there was a power that they no longer wanted to have association with. And so this passage in Ephesians comes at the end of Paul giving an explanation about the revelation of Jesus. The first two chapters cover what Jesus has done for us, our benefits and blessings being in Christ Jesus. Then the next chapters from three to part of chapter six covers our manner of living, our conversation, our behaviors within the church, within our family relationships, within our place of employment. And then he comes to this point that he says after covering all of that, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But I want to jump to the last verse that we read because this is where we are going to see that what God has revealed about his armor and how we're supposed to stand, it's connected to praying because in verse 18, it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So this weaponry, that God has given to his church. This revelation of standing, we're exercising something that God has given to us, but it's through the means of prayer. But we have to pray because we do have an adversary. But the revelation about this adversary is secondary to the revelation of the person of Jesus. Imagine yourself being in front of a charging elephant and all you have is a BB gun. You look at that elephant and say, that elephant has more mass and power than what I have, there's no way I can stop it. But if you were inside of a Sherman tank and that elephant came charging at you, no contest. Because that tank has more firepower than what that elephant can muster. And too many of us Christians sometimes get over into this passage and we want to magnify the hierarchy of Satan's kingdom, getting into the substrata of demonology and focusing on the evil. But we have to step back and say, wait a minute, we're in Christ Jesus. We're above this in him. And in that, we've got to focus and do what God says in praying. But we have to see, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. And so God gives these instructions to a group of people, not just to the world, not to the world, but it's to those that he's called out and he's separated for a purpose. This is the ecclesia, the word that's translated church in the New Testament. That word ecclesia means called out ones or an assembly. See, in the Greek culture, when they gathered together, these people formed an ecclesia in the various communities. And what they would do is enforce policy. What was the policy, the way that they were supposed to live? They would make sure that this happened. And so we see this being emphasized by Jesus. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 18 through 15, you can read this, where he says, 18 18 through 19, rather, where Jesus and his disciples are looking at a group of buildings in Caesarea Philippi. There was a temple that was there dedicated to the god Pan, a false god again. And Jesus stood on the hillside and asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? One said something, somebody said something else, and then Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then came behind and said these words. He said, you are Peter, you are a stone, but upon this rock of the truth that you shared, I will build my ecclesia, my called out ones, my assembly, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, when I was growing up, they used to teach the scripture and say, the church is sitting back waiting for the rapture, hiding in the cave as the gates of hell march against us. That is not what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying in the face of that evil, that that temple dedicated to Pan and all that debauchery was being demonstrated, he said, upon this rock of who I am, I will build my ecclesia and the church being on the offensive against the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Light pushes out darkness Over in the cinematic universe, you can get a bucket of darkness and pour it on light. That's not the way it works in reality. Anytime you cut on light, it dispels darkness. And that's the truth about the Lord. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So his ecclesia is called to enforce that policy in the earth of what Jesus said. Upon this rock, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus then said to Peter, I will give you the keys Key stands for authority in the word of God. So that authority is coming with God delegating something to us, and he's delegated this armor. He's delegated to his ecclesia, his called out ones, to put on this armor to be able to accomplish his will in the earth. It was prophesied about Jesus setting this up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, where it says, unto us a son is born unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace it says upon his shoulders shall be the government and it shall have no end Jesus was going to set up his kingdom in his people and the church is not the building it's the people and he's called us to be lights in the midst of darkness his ecclesia his assembly to demonstrate his plan and purpose in the earth now God gave this revelation to a church of people who were saved out of being occult practicing pagan idol worshippers in Ephesus how appropriate that God shows that even though he pulled them out now he can use them and demonstrate that he's greater than Satan's power they knew what evil power they were delivered from. Even Paul wrote later on in the book of 2 Corinthians, when he talked about going to Ephesus, he said, there's a great and effectual door open unto me, and there's many adversaries. He didn't say, but. He said, the effectual door is open, and there's many adversaries, meaning that he was putting the emphasis on the door that God opened up. So in our lives, we do have adversity. We do have an adversary But greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And so we have to take courage with that this morning as we remember why we are to pray. Because we do have an adversary, but we have the greater one on the inside of us. So we want to go to verse 10 and we want to break down this verse and what it's saying to us as we look at it in detail. The word of God says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's power, I'm still okay? All right, praise the Lord. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As we look at this in the English, there's Greek meaning sometimes it's not brought out in the fullness of strength that we wanna dig down a little deeper as we look at these words. The word there that stands for strong is the Greek word endonimo, and it means to enable. This is the same word that's used over in Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's speaking about enablement. And then it says, in the power of his might. And as I spent time in praying, I'm asking the Lord, what's with this? And then sometimes, like I said, you have to dig a little bit deeper. And so the, the word power there is the word kratos. And it means force, greatness, or dominion. And then it says, in the power of his might. That's the word ikkos. That means ability. That's the same word that's used over in those two words are used over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. That says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any minister, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God said those words there. And when God said that, he was giving us the ability to tap into his power to be able to do something here in this life. So when we look at this in a Greek rendering, that same verse, we can actually relay it this way. Be enabled in the Lord. He's speaking that forth and he's talking about Jesus. He's encouraging the Ephesian saints and for us to be enabled in the Lord and in his dominating ability speaking about the Lord, not our smarts, not our flesh, not our mind, but he said in his dominating ability, dominating, nothing can stop him, ability, he can do all things. He said, put on the armor of God. That says to us that it doesn't matter if I get up feeling like I have a headache. It doesn't matter that I got a pink slip from my boss. I don't care if I've got a foreclosure notice on my door. He said, I can get up and be enabled in the might of the Lord and in his dominating ability and put on the armor of God to be able to pray and ask God to intervene in my circumstance. It's not contingent upon our physicality. It's not contingent upon our smarts. Some police officers are are here and they know that if you put on a bulletproof vest, it's not because they look cute. It's not because they're tall. It's not because they're strong. It's because of the strength of that vest and what it's made of. That's what deflects the bullets. And in spirit, this armor that God has given to us doesn't have any biasness. Doesn't matter if you're a woman. Doesn't matter if you're a man. Doesn't matter if you're a boy. Doesn't matter if you're a girl. The armor of God will work for you because Jesus said you can put it on in the power of his might. That's the might of the spirit of God inside of us, his mighty power. So we need a reminder of that mighty power. So we're going to turn over to a scripture in the book of Ephesians, a couple of chapters over. That same power that he spoke about, that we are to put on the armor of God with, Over in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 to 22, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working, same words here, of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Far above All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to his ecclesia, his church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We're the body. We're the body of Jesus. Remember the citation about Daniel? Daniel and how he prayed concerning the nation of Israel. And Daniel got a revelation from Gabriel that said he had to fight 21 days to get to Daniel. God sent him the first day that he prayed. And Daniel had to keep praying, and then Gabriel finally was able to get through because Michael came and helped him. 21 days it took, but that's not the status of us right now in this New Testament age. He said he's placed us far above all principality, all power, all might and dominion. At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. That's why when we exercise this armor in prayer, that's why, as the Scripture says, that we pray with all supplication in the Spirit and watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does that mean? We continue to pray before our Lord God to intervene in the lives of people. When we get prayer requests, we send them up to the Lord and say, Lord, continue to hold on to these people's lives. Continue to minister healing. We're asking you to manifest that in Jesus' name. We remember people in our congregation, Sister Ada, Sister Julie, the Juliano family right now are going through something. We send our prayers and faith in the name of Jesus to them. Brother Herb Fowler, we're praying for him. We continue to pray and press in the throne room of God, asking for the Lord to intervene because he gave us his armor and prayer to be able to exercise in the name of Jesus. In his enablement, in his might, we have to put on this armor of God. And so now we want to break down and look at this armor specifically in the different components. God is not telling us to do something that we can't do. In other words, when God gave the command, be ye holy, for I am holy, he gives us the ability to be able to live holy. Now notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, be ye Pentecostal, for I am Pentecostal. He didn't say be ye Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist, any other denomination. He said be holy in character and nature, but he gives us that enablement to walk in that through him. It's in him and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have hope to be able to overcome this morning in the name of Jesus. God is not telling us to do something we can't do. It's God's armor. In Isaiah the 59th chapter, in your own time, go back and read that, but it prophesies about God coming and putting on that helmet of salvation and wearing that breastplate of righteousness. But he gave that armor over to us. Now, when Paul wrote this, he wrote this in New Testament times, and he had Roman soldiers that were guarding him because he was under imprisonment. And so him looking at those Roman soldiers, I can imagine, the spirit of God came upon him and he began to break down the armor of God that we are to operate in prayer in and gave that for Paul to write to us. So we look at this armor of God and we see the first thing that he mentions after he says that we are to stand in the evil day using this armor, the first thing that he mentions is about the girdle or the belt of truth. Jesus said in John 17:17, 17, 17, "Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth." We have to have truth in order to be able to gird ourselves. When you have a belt that's right, it can straighten up your spine and make you stand up. Now, I'm going to be a little silly with this illustration, and there no children for me to ask for their help here. But just pretend you see that, that I put four objects here on the front of this podium. And I put two over here and two over here. And I come with this funky revelation, mystical, and I say two plus two. It doesn't equal four, it equals 22. And people will laugh and say, there's not 22 objects up here, it's only four. But see, that's how the enemy will operate, with deception. You take two over here and two over here, and you put the two numbers together, now you wanna go out and preach the 22 is now you, or something else that's idiotic. But in all reality, the truth is there's only four objects. That's why we need the Spirit of God to break down to us and give us confirmation by His Word what the truth is versus what's a lie. The name devil means deceiver. And he said stand against the wiles or the deceptions of the devil. The devil comes and tells you a lie. He may wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you're not going to live to see tomorrow. As soon as you know that's the voice of the devil, you've got to say, thank you, Lord. I know I'm going to live because the devil's a liar and there's no truth in him. When the promise of God says that he's going to take care of you and the enemy tries to come in, you know that you stand on the word of God as opposed to taking what the devil said. But Jesus said there is no truth within him. So the girdle of truth holds everything else in place. If we don't have truth surrounding us and girding us up, we're not going to be able to stand. You're not going to have the ability of coming before the Lord in prayer if you feel like, Lord, You know I missed it. I don't deserve to come before you. And part of that statement is right. We don't in our natural ability have the right to come before God in our own merits. But because of the blood of Jesus, because he's grafted us into the family of God, he said come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the truth that we need to operate under, not what we feel like in the morning. Now I'm going to be silly again. That's like a married person getting up and saying, I don't feel like I'm married this morning. Now, brothers, you do. That's gonna be a problem, amen. I don't need to go on with that, all right. Moving on to the next piece of the armor. The breastplate of righteousness. In In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This protects our heart and says, we have the right to come before our Father. Where he said in Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That protects our heart. No guilt from the enemy should be precluding you from coming before the Lord in prayer. Because you have the right through Jesus' righteousness to be able to approach the throne of God. Then we've got the shoes or the sandals of the preparation of the gospel of peace. It says that we are to walk with God in peace because Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The blood of Jesus satisfied that punishment. After you become saved, it's not about visitation of prior sins to come back on you. No, Jesus cuts it off because he paid for it with his blood. If we've repented, he said, your sins I've wiped away. I've thrown them into the depths of the sea. The only one that will come and remind you about past sins is the devil, and he's under our feet in Jesus. He's an accuser of the brethren, and he's a liar. We're to walk in that peace. Now let's break down something else. Because as we're looking at this armor like a soldier, that soldier has to keep his shoes on. And if anybody served in the military here, you can speak up and affirm that what I'm saying is correct. They tell you out on the field, don't take your your boots off. Because at any time you have to rise up, you have to fight. But you need to be prepared. And that's what speaks about that peace has you prepared at a moment to know what to do. So you're in the supermarket and somebody falls down in the aisle and says, oh, I just can't take this pressure. Life is just giving me too much. I'm having a nervous breakdown. Now, how are we prepared if we walk over and just say to them, do you wanna come to church with me next Sunday? That's not enough to meet their need. We need to take authority over what that is that's trying to hurt that person and minister the peace of the Lord and the salvation message to them. That's the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the next piece of the armor, the shield of faith. Media, can I have the next slide? The shield of faith, and what Paul cited about the shield, that word's only used one time in the Greek New Testament. It gives the structure of a door. And as you can see, they actually have one of these shields in the Yale University Museum that was preserved from the Roman Empire. That shield was big enough so that soldier could actually be behind that shield. Can I have the next slide? And when all those soldiers were together, they could make a formation where, as the Bible says, you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Because as we come together, and I put my faith up, and Shirley puts her faith up. And Sister Ada puts her faith up. Brother Jeff puts his faith up. All of us form that shield. Putting our shields up. And we quench the fiery darts of the wicked so it don't hit nobody. That's how we're supposed to be as his ecclesia. His called out ones. That we're working together. That's the picture that we need to remember. Then the helmet of salvation Philippians 2.5, let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Where to have that mind of salvation, to love one another and to walk in peace and to see the kingdom of God demonstrated in power and in the Holy Spirit of God, that mindset that says, I'm not going to think evil about my brother. I'm not going to think evil about my sister. If there's an offense or there's something wrong, I'm going to go to them and reconcile it. Why? Because we got to stay together. The devil plays for keeps. He's trying to take people out. And he's the only one that wants to see this broken up so that he can come in and successfully throw a dart and take somebody out. Then, the sword of the Spirit. Now, we have to understand something because there's a lot of popular teachings that try to say something that is blasphemous and it's from the pit of hell. It's the doctrine of devils. We We don't control God. God has granted to us authority, but out of his grace, we can come and petition him. And so the sword of the spirit is not the logos. It's not us handling Jesus. It's us speaking the words that Jesus has had inspired to be in his word. So in other words, when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, and we go and voice that word, then we're repeating what Jesus said. That's the spoken or the rhema word of God. That's the sword of the spirit. So when we pray, and we voice God's word out like what Pastor has been uh, sharing with us and teaching us, that, vo- that voicing of God's word is the sword of the Spirit. Jesus gave us that demonstration in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and in Luke 4, 1 through 13, where the enemy came to him with three temptations, but each time Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and that drove the devil off. Jesus didn't try to reason with them. Jesus didn't try to have a debate. Jesus said it was written. Cut it off. When the enemy tries to say you're not going to make it in there, there's no hope. Cut it off because the Word of God says, "I know the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts of peace and not evil to bring you to a good and expected end." That's the final word, not what the devil says. These are the things that we are to use to expel the force of darkness, as what the word of God says in Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Meaning what? As the ecclesia, we walk out the policy of what the kingdom of God is. What was the one command that Jesus gave to us that fulfills all the law? He said, love one another as I have loved you. If we do that, we'll cover everything. And you know the enemy is very sneaky. Says he's a deceiver. And what he'll try to do is sow little things here and there to cause division. And if he can divide, we're whole and entire and breaks us up. Now you can see an account in the book of Revelation for one of the churches that's in the second chapter, the church of Thyatira. It says in there that that angel or that pastor permitted a woman Jezebel to be in the church. And she was teaching for people to practice fornication and eating things sacrificed to idols, which were abominations to God. The word of God says that those things are abomination to God. But why would that individual permit her to operate that way? But see, now you have to go back and see that that representation of that spirit, because he said that woman Jezebel, didn't mean a man can't operate like that, said this woman was operating in this way. But to understand more of the context of what happened, we have to drop back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was a king in Israel, and he wanted something. And hear me with this, because it's relevant. Ahab wanted something. Ahab wanted kingship, he wanted material, he wanted respectability. And instead of going the route that the word of God said in Deuteronomy chapter 17 for a king, that he was to write out a copy of the law, that he was not supposed to multiply gold and silver unto himself, he was not supposed to go to Egypt to get horses, and he was not supposed to multiply wives, all the women say amen. He was not supposed to do those things. But now Ahab did what some people do, and he relied upon earthly, sensual, devilish knowledge and acted upon it so that it became earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, and he made a covenant with a king from a foreign land, and took his daughter, Jezebel, and she became his wife. Ahab allowed Jezebel to come in, and as a result, Jezebel started killing the prophets, overturning the true worship of God, causing mayhem and havoc, and then Elijah has to be raised up to point that nation still to God, and Israel, the northern kingdom, still didn't get right. So now over in the New Testament, that female Jezebel is in the church doing the same thing. What was it? She calls a divide. And Jesus said he'll come against that church with the sword of his mouth. A lot of times when church splits happen, there's a Jezebel in spirit that comes and causes people to start to now mistrust each other or talk to each other. And you see somebody in the corridor and all of a sudden you're led of God to check the ceiling for cracks. Or you start looking at the carpet to see if there's any sinkholes. Instead of speaking to them and saying, you know what, I think you're offended or I'm offended at you, we need to reconcile so that the shields stay up. But we allow that spirit of division to come in, we tear it, we weaken ourselves. That spirit of Jezebel came in because Ahab's spirit invited her in. We can't put material things. There's nothing wrong with taking care of a building. But if you make something an idol, that's sin before God. He says, love people and use things, not use people and love things. So High Street Worship Center, we don't want that to happen. We want to love each other. We want to keep these shields up. We want to maintain the unity. So we pray because there's an adversary, but we also pray together for our unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to go forward. Jesus settled the issue about who's the greatest. He is. So all of us, by love, are to serve one another. If we come together with that, the enemy can't get in. But if we allow that divide, a house divided against itself will not stand. It will fall. We don't need that. Let's make a decision not to have that happen. Let's join our faith together. Let's keep the Son of God lifted up. But when we see somebody, sometimes we can be looking around. We don't know what's going on in a person's life. We just pray to the Lord. Lord, bless that individual. Don't know what's going on in their life. Comfort and help them. If the Lord has you to come across and hear more, you, you, you're the hands and feet of the Lord in the earth, minister to them as the grace of God gives you accordingly. But we're supposed to walk this out in covenant relationship, because guess why, saints? <laughs> we're gonna be stuck with each other forever. Do you realize that? We're all gonna go to heaven together. We're gonna be around each other forever. Why not get used to it now? Let's get it settled. Hallelujah. We're closer to each other as Christians than our physical brother and sister because one day our bodies are going to be changed and that tie from Adam's bloodline is going to be lost and the glorified body that Jesus gives to us and the unity of the spirit that's what's going to bind us together let's stand in that armor let's stand together in love let's fulfill that command it's not about the great I and little you it's about Jesus alone He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. We've got brothers and sisters in foreign countries who wish they could assemble like this. They're under fear of their lives now. We need to be praying and asking the Lord to intervene. But it's time for God's ecclesia not to be going through the motions, being hearers of the word and not doers. It's time for us to embrace each other in love. Let's make High Street Worship Center a zero tolerance for division or offense in any means. And if somebody comes to us with gossip, now this isn't concern. If you're concerned about something, you need to go and talk to the person in the spirit of peace. But if you come back bad-mouthing about the pastor or somebody, you know, hey, I don't think they're right. I think I know more Whatever, You know what? Cut it short. Just like if you ladies, you ladies will appreciate this. You clean up your kitchen, you clean up your living room, and somebody comes in there with a wet bag of garbage and dump it on the floor. You don't want that. We don't want gossip and slander either because that's what it is before the Lord. It's garbage, and it brings divide. The one commandment we have to fulfill, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said, let's pray together. Let's stand in faith together. Let's keep those shields up so the Lord can have his way. Why pray? Because we need to stay in unity, because the adversary is a defeated foe. He already knows that. Jesus Christ is Lord. As we bow our heads right now, Father, we just, we thank you for the cord that binds us together in love through Christ Jesus. Father, as we stand in this pulpit this morning, we come just asking afresh for that blood to be applied over our lives. That any area that we have yielded to our flesh to allow division or schism in any way to enter in, we repent of that in the name of Jesus. And we ask, Lord God, because you see from heaven, your power will not flow where there's broken relation, but it will flow just like an ax when we come together and the unity of the spirit. Help us, God, to yield to that love. Help us to put aside the doctrines and traditions of men that have kept us separated because it's a lost and dying world. And for our brothers and sisters who are here in this congregation, who are hurting, who are in affliction, we extend our shields above them, asking you to preserve their life and to heal them, and to bless them. That when the enemy has tried to come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord would set a standard against them. You said whatsoever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So we bind that spirit of division in the name of Jesus. we we'll not visit our fellowship again. We'll not have prominence in our life. We're going to think the good of our brothers and sisters, and we're going to walk in love one towards another in the mighty name of Jesus. We remember Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Help us to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We can't do a supernatural work through natural means. Help us to drop any doctrines or beliefs that's against your word so that we can flow in you. And so, Father, we just want to praise you because we're lifting our shields in faith and believing that you're going to preserve us, that you're going to keep us together, that your testimony of this place is going to be strong and sure, that they know we are Christians by our love. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's just stand and lift our hands before the Lord. Let's just stand and worship the Lord right now. Let's give him thanks right now because the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. We thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cleansing power. Thank you for your strength, Lord God, and binding us together. Like John the Baptist, who had a destiny and a purpose, this church has been called to be a light in this community. All of our shields need to be connected. In order for that to be accomplished, we've got to stand together in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Hallelujah, we pledge that love today, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus.